I've been listening this week to a, uh, a new song that's been out for a little while from Casting Crowns called Thrive. I've listened to it over and over and over this week. The first line of the song says, Here in this worn and weary land where many a dream has died. And my guess is, for a lot of you, that's just not a line in a song. But it's a pretty good description of your life right now. You're worn and weary, and you're running on empty. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, you are depleted. And the dream of doing something significant with your life has died. Or it might be that you're worn and weary because your dream had a name. And you had to say goodbye to somebody that you loved. And now you're just existing and surviving in this worn and weary land. Or maybe you're worn and weary because you're just kind of burned out on church. Burned out on God. You've been here for a good while and you think, well, maybe maybe we need to try something else. Maybe we need to go somewhere else. Maybe maybe something else will be better. Maybe maybe I'll feel something differently if I heard somebody else. You're living in a land where you're worn and weary and just burned out. Or maybe you're worn and weary because you're tired of not having enough money and tired of arguing about money and you're tired of fighting with your spouse. And your dream of having a good marriage and a happy marriage has died a long time ago. Or perhaps you're worn and weary because someone in your family is fighting a disease and it's taking its toll on them. And it's taking its toll on you too. We live in a worn and weary land. Sometimes where our dreams have died or are dying. You see, we as Christians, we live in the real world, don't we? We experience real problems. And sometimes we get weighed down by the burdens of life. And right now, for some of you that that are sitting right here in front of me today, if truth were told, you're in survival mode. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm not accusing you. I'm just simply observing. For some of you, you are likely in survival mode. Just trying to keep your head above water as long as you can, and maybe something will work out. That's just kind of your philosophy right now. That's all you know to do. Just, Just keep fighting. Just try to keep my head above water. And maybe sometime, somehow, something will work out. A young lady named Kate posted this online not long ago. She said, I struggled through depression last winter and early this year and completely lost my faith in God. Then I was diagnosed with GAD, which is General Anxiety Disorder. And this just went downhill from there. I was cutting almost all the time, even though I'm I'm only 13 years old. I thought that God was pulling away from me and that He didn't care about me anymore, but really, I was pulling away from Him. And she went on to describe a little bit about how her life began to change. And she says, I have overcome my depression and cutting, but will always have Gad and will need to learn how to live with it. But listen to this last sentence. But with God's help, I can overcome anything. Kate is right. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to view yourself as an overcomer. Life is hard, 
but don't quit, don't give up, because the truth of God's Word is, you are an overcomer. You see, here's the one lesson I want to give you today. I'm, I'm just going to try to give it to you and drill down on it over and over throughout the message. You're going to hear me say this more than one time today. Here's the lesson I want you to grab, the lesson I want you to take home, the lesson I want you to understand is this. You can overcome whatever you're going through with Jesus Christ. You can overcome whatever is overcoming you through Jesus Christ. The Apostle John explains that to us in the book of 1 John chapter 5. Would you open God's Word? 1 John chapter 5. During the summer, we've been working our way through this book, and we're near the end now. We come to the last chapter, 1 John chapter 5. Today, we're looking at the first five verses. And once again in this letter, John gives us some concrete ways to test our salvation to see if it is authentic. That's the, the name of the entire series, Authentic. And throughout this book, again and again, John has given us tests, ways that we can examine our hearts and our lives to see if the faith we claim is real, if it's authentic. John cycles back around again in today's text to give us four tests to show if our faith is real, if it's authentic. In fact, he gives us four things in five verses. He jam-packs this text with some powerful instructions for us. And so I'm just going to kind of list them for you and then dig into one of them. The first test that John says you can use to examine your heart and your life to see if your faith is authentic is the test of faith. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. John says that's how you can know. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is born of God. That's foundational. It's a foundational mark of being a Christian. Believing that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Savior. John says that's one of the tests. That's one of the markers. Then the second test is this one. It's the test of love. Love for God and love for others. Verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. John says, if you're really real, if your faith is authentic, then you're going, there's going to be a love in your heart for God, a love in your heart for the one you put your faith in. And that love in your heart for the one you put your faith in is also going to be exhibited in your love for others. Then he says the third test is this. It is the test of obedience. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. You have this desire within you to obey the one that you say you love. You have this desire within you to follow His teachings. So John says the third test is obedience. And then we come to the fourth test. And here's the fourth test. See if you can guess what it is just by simply reading the text. Verses 4 and 5. And you'll, you'll, the hint is this. You will see the word more than one time. Verse 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says the fourth test is this. The fourth, fourth test is that you are an overcomer. Twice in verse 4 and once in verse 5, he mentions that if our faith is authentic, if our faith is real, we will be overcomers. Now, it's a very descriptive term. It could be translated victors. Or if you wanted to use a more contemporary word, it could be translated winners. 
Everybody wants to be a, a winner. Even Clemson fans want to be a winner. Even South Carolina fans want to be a winner. Everybody's trying to be like Tennessee and be a winner. That's the word that he uses here. The Greek word is nikaios. Nikaios is the Greek word. Which means to win, to defeat, to gain the victory. We get our English word, Nike, from this Greek word. Nike. Does that word sound familiar to anybody? You probably got that on your feet right now, a few of you do. I remember in, uh, I think it was 7th grade, Mrs. Massey's class, uh, I, there was two things I remember about that class in 7th grade. Number one, that she gave us an oral book report and I took a zero on it because I didn't want to stand up in front of people and talk. I was too afraid to stand up in front of people and talk. So I took a zero. Yeah, I mean, you know, God's got a sense of humor. And the second thing that I remember about that class is that we had an assignment that fascinated me. We actually studied the names of companies and products to discover what their name means. She taught us that most companies and most products, they did not simply come up with that name out of thin air. But there was something behind that name. There was a lesson behind that. There was a meaning within that name. Nike is an example of that. You see, when they, when they made the tennis shoe, they didn't say, well, what we'll call this shoe? Mm, in, let's see, I, how about Nike? That, that's, I don't know how they came up with it, but you know what it means? It means victory. They want you to realize, whether you know it consciously or not, they are saying, if you just put these shoes on your feet, you'll have victory when you run that race. If you just wear these shoes when you play basketball, you'll have victory. So tomorrow, when you put on your tennis shoes, you're going to remember this, aren't you? Nike means victory. That's right. Now you remember that, we're going to come back to it. Did you know that the Greeks loved this word Nike? In fact, they had a goddess named Nike. It was a goddess of victory, the goddess of triumph. And that's the word that Jesus used in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Verse 33, when he says, I, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have been victorious. I have Nike'd the world. Jesus was saying, I have defeated and conquered the world. I, Jesus was saying, I have gained the victory over the world. In fact, that is so true. The Apostle Paul, with his great theological mind, one day contemplated this concept of Nike, winners, conquerors, overcomers. And he sat down and he wrote these words in, in Romans chapter 8. Would you go over to Romans chapter 8 real quick? Romans chapter 8, he begins in verse 35 by saying, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Paul didn't say bad things wouldn't happen to us. In fact, Paul seems to imply in this verse that these are a normal part of life. He seems to be implying that you can expect these kind of things to happen to you. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. When I studied that this week, I thought, how can you be more than conquerors? I mean, you can be a conqueror. How can you be more than conquerors? So I studied the original language, and it's a compound word that is used here. It's the word Nike. The word conquerors is still the word Nike. It's a form of the word Nike. But there's a word in front of it. The word in front of Nike is the word Hooper, H-U-P-E-R. Hooper Nike. You know what Hooper means? Hooper could be translated, we would loosely translate today, super. So we are super conquerors, is what he's saying. That's why it's translated, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. We are the ultimate conquerors, so much so that Paul says nothing can defeat us. Look at verse 38 and 39. Because of who we are, because we are hooper Nike, because we are super conquerors, he says in verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, do you understand who you are? Do you understand what you have? You're to be an overcomer. And life will be hard. And it will be painful. And there will be many tears. And there will be many problems. He says, but I am convinced. Because we are more than conquerors. I am convinced that nothing ever can separate you from the love of God. But you just never know what a day will bring, do you? You just never know. It was just probably, I don't know, a month, maybe two months ago, a month and a half, something like that. One, one day, one work day, I was home at lunchtime, just sitting in my recliner, eating my sandwich and watching ESPN. And um, While I was sitting there eating, Lisa came in. I heard her car pull, up, pull in, close the door. She came in. Literally, this is, this is the sequence of events. Make sure you follow the sequence of events. She pulled in, came in the door, kissed me, like, you know, like, hello. And as soon as she kissed me, all of a sudden, we heard a crash. So what in the world was that? And we went outside, and our Bradford pear tree had split in two and had fallen over on her car and on my truck. Just, and we were just like, what just happened? I mean, literally, here's what happened. She came in, she kissed me, and the tree fell over. <laughs> and I, told, I said, honey, don't kiss me anymore. We can't afford it. <laughs> of course, that didn't last long. I shouldn't have said that part. I didn't say that in the first service. I really didn't. Because <laughs> it was on tape. <laughs> but, but literally, that's what happened. She came in. It was so quickly. She came in, walked in the door, kissed me. Tree falls over. It's like the tree was waiting for her car to pull in. It's like, okay, here it is. Thank you. 
Now, this next part I'm telling you, you're going to think I'm making up, but you can check with her after the service because I am not making this up. Everything I've told you is true, and what I'm about to tell you is true. We were outside. We were looking at the tree. We, you know, it was just like, oh my goodness. You know, it fell on my, on my truck. It fell on her car. They're covered in trees. And there was no storm. It, there, was no, there was no wind. There was no, it was clear skies. It was, it was just one of those beautiful days. And we're like, what in the world? And if she had just been 30, 45 seconds later, you know, she would have missed that. And so we, we all frustrated looking at the tree, and we finally walked back inside, and I promise you it happened just like this. We walked in the door. As soon as we walked in the door, her phone buzzed, and she picked it up. Somebody, a friend, had texted her, and she flipped it open. She still has a flip phone, and she flipped it open. She flipped it open, and I promise you, this is what it said. May many blessings fall on you today. <laughs> promise you. Anybody have those kind of blessings fall on you lately? You just never know. We see, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes it seems to fall on us, doesn't it? But John tells us three times in this passage. Three times in this passage that Christians have overcome the world. Look at it again, 1 John. Go back to 1 John chapter 5. Look at it again. I've marked it in my study Bible. You might want to mark it in your Bible as well, that word overcome. He says in verse 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the world here, when he says you've overcome the world, let me make sure you understand what he's talking about. The, the word world is the invisible spiritual system of evil that is hostile to God and is ruled by Satan. And as a Christian, we have overcome Satan and the invisible spiritual forces of evil. But it's not because it's, it's faith in us. It's not faith in us that has overcome the world. Are you listening? This is about to be a really good statement. It's not faith in us that has overcome the world, but it's faith in Christ that gives us the victory. He says it so plainly and clearly in these verses. Who is it, verse 5, that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now John made a very similar statement back in chapter 4, verse 4. Would you go back a, pa a page perhaps or a chapter in your Bible? Chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Them being the false prophets he talked about in verses 1 through 3. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome. There's that word again. You're conquerors. You've overcome them because, because of your great determination. Because of your... Because of... No, it's not because of you. You have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Boy, you ought to put an amen there. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You see, we are not just sort of barely overcomers. We didn't win by one point in overtime with a field goal. We are super conquerors through Jesus Christ. Now, on the radio talk shows right now, there's a lot of talk about the college football season. A lot of talk about who the next champion will be in college football with this new playoff system. It's interesting, we always talk about the next 
champion. Championships only last for a year. Sometimes it's a long time before you experience another one. I can testify. I was, I was kind of cracking on you guys. So I'll crack on Tennessee. Tennessee won its last national championship in 1998. There's a long time sometimes between championships. But hear me, church. The championship that Jesus Christ has won for us is a forever championship. It's not a championship that lasts for a season of time. It's not a championship that is here today but gone tomorrow. But the championship that Jesus has won for us is a forever championship. How do you know that? Because when I go to the last book of the Bible, and I read about the last times, the Bible emphasizes that very fact. If I'll show it to you in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, here's what John wrote. John, the same person who wrote 1 John, wrote Revelation. John, you, John loves the word overcomes or overcomer. He uses it throughout the book. One example is in chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He has been defeated. He has been obliterated. He has been hurled down. He has been conquered. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame Him. They conquered Him. They Nike'd Him. They were victorious over Him by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of His testimony. I wish we had time in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, John uses that word overcome again and again and again in Revelation. He's not describing a special class of believers. Rather, he's using the word overcomer as a name for a true Christian. Because we have been born of God... We are indeed overcomers. Because God lives in us, we are indeed overcomers. Now, that brings up three practical questions that I want to ask real quickly. Three practical questions. Number one, if I'm an overcomer, then why is my life so hard? Why does it look like and feel like Satan is winning? If I'm an overcomer, why is life so hard? Dear friend, listen to me. The very term overcomer implies that life will be hard. You don't overcome happy days, you overcome hard days. When the Bible says you're an overcomer, that's implying there's something hard you have to overcome. The message of the Bible is not that life will be easy because you're a Christian. The message of the Bible is that you can be victorious through everything you go through as a Christian. We may fail along the way. We may fall victim sometimes to temptation here and there. We might lose some skirmishes. But the great fact of the Bible is that though we might lose some skirmishes, ultimately we're going to win this fight. 
You see, though your faith might be shaken, it is not shattered if you're a true child of God. Paul is, is an example of a man who struggled over and over and over in his life in, in so many different ways. He struggled with his fallen, sinful nature in Romans chapter 7. And he struggled with others around him and the things that they try to put him through. He, he was stoned and whipped. He, he experienced shipwreck. He was jailed. He was beaten and despised. And eventually, he was executed. And at his grave... Satan probably looked at the Apostle Paul and laughed and said, we finally beat him. Oh, but no. Would you go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? I'm sorry, chapter 4. Paul, right before his death wrote these words. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. He's talking about his death. Paul is saying, I recognize that my days are numbered. I recognize that soon I will be executed. I recognize that soon I'll face the ultimate trial and test. And then he says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see what he said? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been jailed. I've been stoned. I've been accused. Satan has thrown everything he can at me, and I know he's about to kill me. I'm, I'm about to be executed. But I want you to know something. He cannot destroy my faith. He cannot take away my love for God. He, he cannot separate me from my relationship with God. He can never stop me from believing. And so Paul goes on to say in the next verse, Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have longed for His appearing. Paul was simply saying, let me tell you something. Let me, t let me tell you how I got this thing. It's rigged. I'm going to win. Let me tell you. It's rigged because even if they kill me, I get to go to heaven to be with Jesus. So in the end, Paul says, you know what? I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. But it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus who lives in me. See, that's what you are today. If you've been born of God... Listen, if you've been born of God, then Satan and sin and the grave and hell itself cannot defeat you because those things have been conquered through Jesus Christ. They cannot defeat you. You guys need to listen real fast. Question number two. Well, Pastor, I understand that ultimately I win. I get that. I understand ultimately we win as children of God. I get it. I understand it. And that is encouraging, but... Here's my second question. I don't feel like a conqueror. Does that mean I'm not saved? It's a very good question. It's a very good question. Because if I still sin, and if I still fail, if I still struggle, if I have doubts, does that mean I'm not saved? Because I don't have a conquering spirit right now. I'm weary and worn out.
You might put say it this way. You know, I understand that ultimately we win. Ultimately, I win, but on a day-to-day basis right now, I'm not winning. On a day-to-day basis right now, I'm struggling big time. How can you know that you're an overcomer? I'm going to ask you to ask yourself two questions. Number one, do I still believe? In verse 1 and in verse 5, Paul talks about faith in Christ. Ask yourself, do I still believe? I know that I've got doubts. I know my faith has been shaken, but it's not shattered. Do I still believe? I know that I'm angry. I know that I'm hurt. But do I still believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? If so, you're likely an overcomer. You're likely a Christian. Ask yourself the second question, the second test. Is there a desire to obey God? Is there a love for God and a desire to obey Him? In verse 2 and 3, Paul talks about this, this love that is in our hearts for God and this desire to obey Him. So you might need to ask yourself, buried under all the anger, buried under all the hurt, buried under all the struggles, buried down there under all the, the, the issues that you're dealing with and all the emotions that you're struggling with, under all of that, is there underneath all of that a desire to love God and a desire to obey Him? Those are signs that you have been, as it says in verse 1, born of God. Question number three is this. How do I conquer those things that are conquering me? How do I conquer those things that are conquering me? He tells us in 1 John, verse 4 and 5, look what he says. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Say these three words with me. Even our, what? Faith. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 4, the second half. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no substitute for faith in Jesus. Can I remind you of an important truth? The same power that conquered the grave is in you. If you're a child of God. The same power that conquered hell and the grave is in you. And if Jesus conquered death, I believe He can conquer the things that are in your life. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So you need to simply tell yourself this every day when you're struggling. The same power that conquered Jesus, or that conquered Satan and the grave, is the same power that lives in me. And it's not faith in me, it's, it's faith in the Jesus who lives in me. I wish we had time to dig in a little bit more, but I want to tell you, uh, to go to Hebrews chapter 11, I want to tell you a story real quick. Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's the story of great men and women of God who went through tremendous turmoil, who went through tremendous suffering, who went through tremendous trials. And yet these same people of God were overcomers because of their faith. Again and again in chapter 11, you see this phrase, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Moses. They all had their struggles. They all had their difficulties. They all had those moments when the world seemed to fall on them. But by faith, they dealt with those things and overcame them. That's chapter 11. Then we come to Hebrews chapter 12 and we see this wonderful word in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the witnesses being those overcomers, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's how you hang in there. In that worn and weary land that you're living in right now, that's how you become a conqueror. Let me tell you what he says real quickly. First of all, he said, throw off those things that are hindering you, that sin that so easily is entangling you. So you need to ask yourself, what, what is the sin I need to get rid of? What's the sin I need to let go of? Maybe it's anger. What is it? What, what is the resentment? Something you need to let go of. What is it that's in your heart right now that you need to release? Let go of because it's tripping you up. And then he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Run with perseverance. That means it's not going to be easy, but persevere. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be short, so persevere. It's going to take you a while to get through it, so persevere. But run the race marked for us, he said. You can't, you can't run the race and be looking at him and her and how good they have it and why is her marriage better and why is he not healed or why is he not sick? Why do they have money and we don't? You've got to run the race marked for you. Then he says, run the race marked with perseverance. And then he says, and fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because the way you become an overcomer is not faith in you. It's faith in the Jesus who lives in you. Amen? Would you bow with me as we pray? Do you have that faith in the Lord Jesus? Do you know Him personally as your Savior? And today, I want to ask you that, that very important question. When was it that you came to faith in Christ? Is it a certainty in your heart that you know Him? Or is today the day that you'd like to give your life to Christ? Is today the day that you need to surrender your life and say, Lord Jesus, I- I've known about You, but you-, you don't live in me. Come and live in me today. It's Christ in me that makes the difference. And for some of you today in this invitation, it- it's just your time to come Bring your tired, worn out, weary soul to this altar. And as you come to this altar, just pour it out before the Lord. God, my my soul is tired and weary. And I'm struggling. And I'm hurting. But I'm going to lay aside every sin that hinders me and I will run with perseverance the strength that you give me, the race you've marked out for me. And I today fix my eyes on Jesus because it's not faith in me, but it's faith in Him who lives in me. You come to this altar and you just nail that down with the Lord today. That song I've been singing all week, been listening to all week, has another line in it. It says it's time for us to do more than just survive. We were made to thrive. Father, help us to do that. Right now, for some of us, we're just in survival mode. And that's just because that's all we know to do. And we're just trying to hang on. But I pray that today, you'd renew and encourage, replenish, give us the faith and help us to realize it's not in us. It's not in our strength, not in our power. 
But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. May we focus on Him and Him alone. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.